Hello and welcome to episode 333 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored ah. by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. 333! That feels the Alex, old Alex Rodriguez edition. The all-A-Rod edition, the first ever Pelton Cast that has been recorded after a Mariners playoff loss. <laughs> that is accurate. It is beautifully accurate. Did you ever say who you are? I'm Tristan Carasino. <laughs> and we're coming to you my in name is my name today i'm coming to you from seattle washington home of the still al wild card or uh, wild card champion yeah, <laughs> yeah wild card champion seattle thank Mariners. you and i'm coming yeah. to you from renton washington home of geno smith and the super bowl 48 champion seattle seahawks you remember geno in super bowl 48 god what a game <laughs> he didn't even call it call the coin toss that's that my one. quarterback all right, well, a lot to get into, obviously. Uh, there was no emergency pod after game one of the ALDS, but some things to discuss, I would say, about that outcome. Uh, but let's start with the beer that at least I'm drinking this week from our friends at E9 Brewing in Tacoma in collaboration with Holy Mountain. It's the Tiny Swords Pale Ale, which uh, has all the tiny hop swords, Strata Enigma, Idaho 7 and Columbus hops come together like a dagger wow. on the heart. So it sounds like this might be very aggressive and I might not actually <laughs> like it very much. But uh, yeah, just let us know if you take a sip, if it feels like a dagger to your heart. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you could say you could say that Jordan Alvarez delivered yeah, a dagger. We felt some daggers to the heart recently. <laughs> no. Uh, it's brisk, but not not a dagger to the heart. Uh, the weather. We don't have. A... Oh no. No, no. The, the we beer. we we uh, got a high under seventy, so it's brisk, but not a dagger to the heart in Seattle, Washington. That's also. Remember fair. when we were shouting to the summer day or to the hot day, the sunny day, the sunny day? There we go. <laughs> we had to shout to the sunny day, and all of a sudden, it's fucking October, and it's going to be eighty degrees this weekend. And endless summer of sorts. Shouts to global warming. Not a not a great sign long term, but uh, I'll, I'll take it for now. Uh, not a lot in the toast department this week, but a get well soon to Rashad Penny. We mentioned this a little bit at the end of the uh, the pod that we recorded over the weekend, previewing the ALDS, talking about the Mariners' wild card win over the Blue Jays, as well as briefly talking about the Seahawks' loss in New Orleans. But uh, now official get well soon to Rashad Penny, who underwent season-ending surgery Wednesday to repair, repair a fibula fracture and deltoid ligament tear he suffered in that game I in New Orleans. I swear to God, Rashad Penny. It is just, I feel like, Such a bummer. I don't know what he did but Rashad Penny with just so much talent on the field. And really when he's played and he's started, he has been a phenomenal running back, right? Yeah. Like indisputably, whether you want to argue whether running back ability exists or not, Rashad Penny, basically every time he started has been a top five running back in the league and to just continually be injured. Uh, it is, I I'm curious to see how the Seahawks game plan changes without Rashad Penny. I do think that, uh, Ken Walker will be able to pick up what he was doing, but Rashad Penny, I mean, like I said, he's the running back that matters. RB, RB DM um, running back does matter, but it's just, I just feel bad for Rashad Penny on, on a human level. Not, I don't really yeah. care on a football level, but on a human level, it's just 
it has been a brutal career for Rashad Penny. For sure. And on a one-year contract, seems like probably going to force him to play on another prove-it deal, hopefully for the Seahawks next year. But, uh, you know, not the kind of long-term stability to, to the extent that that's possible to find at running back. I mean, you said you don't know what Rashad Petty has done. Part of it is just play running back. And unfortunately, that's a position where players tend to get injured at an extremely high rate. We'll talk about it with the Arizona Cardinals later in this podcast. And obviously, we saw it with Chris Carson and his career ending. Injury, I wonder if so. kids are seeing that. Or if kids still want to be running backs, like it's still a pretty exciting position to play. And like, look, the vast majority of people who play football aren't going to make the NFL, but just so. being a wide receiver, it's, it's a similar pro- skills profile, right? Wide receiver versus running back. But if you were, some, I mean, it's, a, it's a similar athletic profile, or I, I guess. Yeah. But you could develop the skills over time. Let's say that you have high level of athleticism. It's just, Wide receivers are getting wealthier and running backs are not. They're moving in complete opposite directions, right? Yes. So It will be interesting to see how that affects things. Even if you have the running back abilities, go play wide receiver, be a wide receiver, and let them put, them in, put you in the backfield every once in a while. Like That seems more likely where things are headed rather than... Uh, obviously, running backs are not going to start getting paid more. Um, but it is... It's just a devastated for a shot penny yeah not part when you saw it happen it's like fuck i i did not see it happen i just read about it on twitter i mean it was it was clear that it was bad right away yeah all right with that should we get into the mariners i assume we don't have any hot takes this week no hot takes specifically but i'm actually here to offer some very cold takes later I've been reading all of these things, right? Every time I go on Twitter, I see people like talking about it, these talking heads, people with different perspectives, one way or another. And there's just so much dialogue about game one of the ALDS and so many different perspectives and conversations about what it means long term and short term and individual players. And about the rest of the series and the timing for them for the Seahawks and the Mariners. And there's just so much about it. Right. And I feel like the one thing that nobody is taking into account, the only thing that I've seen, the only perspective that hasn't been covered is that I'm sad. (laughs) I just, every time I think about it, I feel a little sad. I go to sleep. I'm a little sad. I wake up in the morning. I pull up Twitter. I'm sad. I see a quote from Scott Service. Then I'm sad. I see the timing of the Seahawks vis-a-vis the Mariners. And then I'm sad. And I see percentages about Jordan Alvarez, which you'll probably mention soon. (sighs) And then I'm sad. And I see the goose on TV. And that somehow makes me sad. So most importantly, after everything we've been through, I'm sad. All right, number one. That's not a take, really, but it's just... That is a take. Of of all the takes, that is one of them. Number one, I thought where you were going with that is there is a shocking degree of overlap between... And obviously the magnitude is not the same. That was game one of the ALDS. It wasn't one of the final plays of the Super Bowl. But the similarity between the dialogue about that, that outcome 
and the decision to pass at the one yard line. Was Scott Service trying to win Robbie Ray playoff MVP? Come on. <laughs> I, I don't know that uh, uh, who didn't pitch. Eric Swanson is going to be recording a podcast in nine years promising to, or in eight years promising to unpack the decision to uh, uh, pitch Robbie Ray in that situation. But I do love this I mean, idea. I, the thing that we've learned, this dialogue about qu- analytics or whatever, which I obviously dumb people use the term analytics to frame any decision that they don't like, even whether the analytics like quote unquote analytics supports this decision or not. But people are really, really bad at judging how they will feel after something happens. I mean, I said that a few weeks ago, didn't I? It's kind of shocking. I said that in the context when, of thinking the Seahawks were going to be terrible this season, so maybe we won't have to evaluate how we'll feel about that. But it's always individual moments, more than it is this, like, like the Seahawks being terrible for the season. I think people would have felt very badly about the Seahawks, but I still think there's a chance that Pete Carroll kept his job. But on an, on an individual, like, micro-decision level, people are extraordinarily bad at extrapolating how they would feel depending on what happens. We are so outcome-based. Like, I wish that human beings could be, like, just straight up the rehearsal, right? That you could go through and you could just rehearse how you would act in every single moment, right? <laughs> like, that that would make the process of responding to things so much better. If the Mariners could have rehearsed Robbie Ray throwing that pitch giving up a home run, Robbie Ray throwing that pitch and getting it out, Eric Swanson coming, on, coming into pitching, if you could have rehearsed this, you know, hundreds of times or whatever, people would understand how they're going to feel about it. But there is an alternate world. There's probably 90 out of 100 alternate worlds where Robbie Ray just gets Jordan Alvarez out. Yes. We just live in the bad world. <laughs> so, the like, and nobody would say anything about it. If Robbie Ray comes in, if Jordan hits the ball, whatever, I, I, the, there's some small fences there, 300 feet. If it is to the warning track, but it's out, we go, and then we move on, and we never speak of it again. Of course. So, yeah. It, it is kind of funny how, and this dialogue about Robbie Ray is totally different, but I'm not saying it's randomness. I don't think that Robbie Ray is pitching well right now, obviously, but... Well, well we're going to get into that. But, like, there is a reality that we are so bad at overreacting to the outcome of how things happen. And like, if you assume that Eric Swanson was going to come in again, we do this percentage chances. Maybe there's a 95% chance that Robbie Ray gets the out. It's probably actually lower. It's probably more like a, or uh, not giving up a home run, like a 90% yeah. chance that Robbie Ray doesn't give up a home run. And maybe there's a 91% chance that Eric Swanson doesn't give up a home run. Like just because it happened doesn't mean that it was the most likely outcome. It's just a thing that happened. Or Eric Swanson could have also been subjected to a very unlikely thing to have happened. But the world that we live in, it just happened and it fucking sucks. And I understand that. And you're sad. And I'm sad. I don't really remember my exact reaction. I was watching this in public. uh, (laughs) in, In the swimming pool at the resort where I was staying with several other Mariners fans, a shocking number of other Mariners fans watching this game. And uh, I, I just don't you really Cabo? remember. Uh, yes. I think there's a pretty big pipeline between Seattle and Cabo. There is. Alaska I was looking direct at the statistics, flight, right? The statistics. There were, there were like two flights to Seattle this evening. Yeah. At the same time, basically. 
one on one on the not a lot of people from Delta. Milwaukee there, or whatever. Like, I think, I think that it's not that surprising. It still was surprising that there were that many at this individual resort, though. I suppose so. And I think you could do the math and understand that there's going to be a lot of Mariners fans. Yeah, I suppose. Anyway, I just outcome based, or not even not even outcome based. I process based, broke you down. You did. You were surprised about the outcome. I explained you the process of how the outcome existed. Wow. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it was still more Seattle Mariners fans than I expected. It's because to be watching this game, your process was wrong. You had to change your heuristic. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, in the moment, it didn't feel as crushing to me. Is it did then reading all the tweets about how unprecedented this outcome was in MLB It doesn't history. seem like it's that unpre- Like, Jordan hitting a, coming up in that. I mean, a lot of things had to transpire f- to get to that moment. Yes. But including the runs that were scored in the eighth, right? Like, Munoz doesn't have any sort of, like... Oh, things are sticking to Munoz as part of, like, the bullpen or whatever. But, like... The runs had and to be scored in C-Walt the eighth getting for the, the two runs on base. And, and Seawalt, I Seawalt is taking some heat, but like, don't think Seawalt is getting off. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe not reading as many Mariners takes. I don't know. This is one of those things where I've only seen the reaction to the reaction, so I can't really say. Right. But I'm pretty sure Paul Seawalt deleted his Twitter, oh, or God. at least went private on Twitter. Well, that sucks. <sighs> like, there, there are shitty fans of every team, though. But the idea that, like, Paul Seawald wasn't trying to do bad. Like, I don't... <laughs> that's the thing where I'm just like... What's just... I mean, that's my thing about baseball in general, which is part of, I think, why Mariners Hot Takes existed. Because the idea of analyzing baseball is, like, the outcome has anything to, of a small sample size has anything to do with the process is just inane. Because, like, in other sports, you can at least say... Well, that player might not have been trying hard or wasn't focused enough, but all that shit doesn't matter at all in baseball. Yeah, either it's an out or it's a hit. Like I, you know, it's in always other 50, sports. 50. Is it, are there? Are you aware of players not trying hard? I think there are occasionally times where players don't try hard in other sports, and obviously there is like running the bases hard and that sort of thing. I guess in baseball, but just like most of what happens in baseball is complete random chance that has nothing to do with how hard the player is trying or how good their process is. So I, to me, it's exceptionally stupid to analyze baseball in that way, even by comparison pe- to other people sports. People are mad at Scott's service for the decision to put in Robbie Ray to face Jordan. Correct. I mean, I saw, and I, I wasn't even watching the play. I had a fucking work call, which first off, fuck you, MLB. Like, can we not have games in the middle of a workday on a Tuesday? Like, dog, what am I going to do? The answer is yes, we can have games during the middle of a workday on a Thursday yeah. as well. I'm going to tell fucking Enum Claw's booking agent that I can't talk to her right now because the Mariners are playing a game. Like, it's just not going to happen. So it's fucking stupid to do it in that moment. Luca came out and it's like the Mariners lost. And in the back of my head, I just kind of was expecting it. Right. Cause I was just That's like, kind of how I felt. I was like, he, I, when they gave up the two runs in the eighth, I was like, we're going to blow this. I, I don't know. But then I was like, ah, maybe they won't. Like I had to be talked into the idea that the Mariners weren't going to blow it. <laughs> It, I mean, that's where I started with my tweet about it's a good thing the last two decades of Mariners baseball prepared us for disappointment. But it's just, in every situation, you prepare for disappointment. The second Agreed. you let, the, I, I tell you, I remember the moment when when Curse caught the pass or whatever. And I, w- I thought in my head, like, fucking idiot. And I was just like, holy shit, we're actually going to do this. Yeah. And the second that you think that, 
that's when something bad is about to happen. You cannot think that something good is going to oh, happen no. because when something good happens, that's when something bad happens. So this is just how sports work. We understand. By, by the way, curse the real MVP of Super Bowl Forty Nine. No, the no, Seahawks not curse. I'm so sorry. That man's name was Chris Matthews. <laughs> Good point. Touche. Yeah. Don't let <laughs> I had literally the, I had literally forgotten about Chris don't Matthews. Don't let this Chris Matthews erasure happen. Because <laughs> the real person Marshawn Lynch wasn't hurt. Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, everybody else, even Russ wasn't really hurt that much by this. The person who was really hurt was the probable Super Bowl MVP, Chris Matthews. Who played like how many more NFL games after that? He could I he mean, could have turned up, that shit into I, a contract. That was I, I a think monster Seattle's, game. The Seattle Seahawks as a whole were hurt by that game. Only Chris as Matthews. It turns out. Only Chris Matthews. We're never the He's same. He's gone. Nobody remembers. Like you, if I would have oh, said, no. what was the wide receiver, the undrafted wide receiver's name who went off in Super Bowl forty nine? He also recovered the the onside kick in the NFC Championship game, right? I think he did. It's quite a moment for Chris Matthews, who played nine games for the Seahawks the next year, caught four passes for 54 yards. So, Chris Matthews. Anyway, did they well, get there? But that's that's what <laughs> no, I thought I during so. the game. During the game, they were they were crushing Verlander, and I thought in my head, holy fucking shit. I, I also, I, I got like three or four steps ahead of myself. In my head, we'd already beaten the Yankees, and then we're playing in the oh, World no. Series. So, oh, no. uh, I was just trying to like win a game to guarantee that we would get to go to Game Four on Sunday. I, I was that's, just like, that still remains my goal. Holy fucking shit! The Mariners are going to go to the World Series. <laughs> There's something about so, that ballpark in Houston. Ball? I don't know. Like, I'm not convinced that the that the Astros are done cheating. Well, were they? They were, they were cheating in terms of their pitching because the Mariners were hitting pretty well in the ballpark as well on on Tuesday. There's just something about it. I don't know. Like, it's a very strange ballpark. And that's, to me, why I think the Mariners need to win three in a row and not let it get back to Houston after today's game. Also, I, I don't want another... That's a good take. I don't want another day game. Like, we're going to play game five on Monday at 1 p.m. or something. Right. Well, I don't think that's is that scheduled yet. I'm sure they'll put it in the middle of the day because baseball will go. go so far out of its way to make sure that nobody is watching the games. The park factor is actually not that strong for batting at Minute Maid Park. So I don't know about that one. I'm just uh, like people scheduling business meetings tomorrow, and I'm like, I, I guess. 12 to 4 o'clock is blocked off now on a Thursday in the busiest time of year because the a baseball team couldn't schedule a game at 5 o'clock. 7 o'clock central time, it would have been fucking perfect. You can have games the, overlap with each other. Don't believe it's the individual team's choice. Hate to break it to you. <sighs> no, it's... No, I'm pretty sure it's not the MLB either. It's the network's? Yeah, you think the networks are like? How could the ratings be? I bet the ratings would be better if they were at nighttime. I mean, the thing no, is, because they they would be cannibalizing each other. You can't like. I mean, you can watch multiple there's games. There's no at the same national time. baseball crowd though. It's all local crowds for baseball, and so all of the Mariners fans are watching that game. How many people out there do you think watch the other baseball games? Can you tell me what the series are right now? What what are the series? Can you tell me? Not the teams, wh where they're at as far as wins-losses. 
Oh, no, I, I can't tell you that. Can you tell me the series even? The Phillies are playing the Braves. Okay. I know that the Yankees are playing the Guardians. Mm-hmm. These are three of the same four teams from the 95 playoffs well, I didn't think in the AL. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, the Dodgers are playing the Padres. Okay. If if this were the like NFC division round games, would you know all the teams instantly? <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, I, I agree that baseball has a more local fan base than football. A I don't, more gonna... local fan base. Just put it on at nighttime so everybody in Seattle can watch. I don't know what to tell you on that one, Chief. It's fucking stupid. Same. I got. I've got notes. Maybe the WNBA will listen at some point too. It was the biggest win probability swing in MLB playoff history, according to StatHead.com. Ninety-one percent swing. I just don't see how that could be the case. That the Mariners' odds of winning were ninety-one percent, or that that had never happened With before. With two runners on and Jordan up, how the Mariners' percentage chances of winning could be ninety-one percent. But even if Jordan Alvarez gets a single, that doesn't. They still have to get another hit. Like, he has to get an extra base hit. I agree that probably it should be a little higher than with that. The, with that part, with Jordan going into Alex Bregman, like, you can't tell me that yeah. that was happening and you were like, yeah, yeah, the Mariners have got this. I mean, it was more when the Astros were down to their final strike against Jeremy Pena before... He he got the hit to extend the game and bring up Alvarez. That was probably the point where their win probability actually hit its nadir in this one or peaked in the Mariners' case. Ugh. It was just the second walk-off home run by a trailing team with two outs in playoff history following Kirk Gibson's home run off of Dennis Eckersley in game one of the 1980s. This home run series. was like ranking up there with like one of the most legendary plays of all time. Yeah. Like, this is shit that I mean, we might be talking about. Uh, Non-Mariners fans might be talking yeah. about in, like, decades. I mean, it, the, again, the championship probability isn't as high as in the World Series. And yeah. that call, that famous call from, uh, was that Vince Scully was on the call there? Uh, like, all of that plays into the Kirk Gibson moment like, in his injury. I remember, the, you know, the Kirk Gibson, like, fist pump that he's doing, right? That's yeah. like a moment you remember. For sure. I don't know if it's so I don't know if this is going to be quite that famous. But yes, I think people will be talking about this one for a long time to come. Here's why they're not going to talk about it. Why? Because it's not going to matter to the outcome of the series. Mariners in four. Like <laughs> I I there was nothing necessarily that I saw that I don't think you should just reframe your entire perspective about the series because of that. Like how are I mean, we feeling about what was your perspective about the series? I mean, your perspective about the series was very different in terms of win probability than mine going in. You've got Castillo going tomorrow, and then two chances at home. Like I don't. You look at the Astros lineup, and we talked about this going into it. They are their good players are very, very, very good. At the top, yes. they are significantly better than the Mariners are, but. The rest of the order is not necessarily that scary. Like, somebody like... I thought Logan Gilbert did a very good job. They roughed up Justin Verlander. They've done it twice now. You know? And the stuff that Verlander had, there were a couple of nasty pitches in there. But were you confused about something? When, there was, During oh, the regular season? Two of, two of the best... Yes, two of the best outings against Verlander. It's just the other five were all Verlander wins. The other five games against the Mariners? Yeah. He played them that many times? I, I mentioned this on Sunday's podcast. Apparently you weren't listening. We own Justin Verlander. <laughs> oh, no. 
Let's let's all remain calm. Let's not let him pitch again. He probably would pitch Sunday. It, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. They haven't named a starter for game four yet. It, it would uh, presumably be Verlander. But they could save him for game five. And then that way, if they win game, I mean, depends where the series is. If they're down 2-1, yes, in your scenario, then obviously they're going to throw Verlander in game four. If but the otherwise, win the next two, they need to start Castillo in game four. On two days rest? <laughs> what? Yes. They're going to start. <laughs> no, that's no, it. That's if he goes five happen. innings, he goes five innings. You were not going to start someone on two days rest. He's pitching on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's not that short of a time turnaround. I think it's that short of a turnaround. Yes. Three days rest is a shockingly low amount in the playoffs. No, Castillo would maybe start game five. Maybe, but there's no way he's starting. Maybe game start game. They're starting Castillo twice in the series. If if they have the chances, they will start Castillo twice in the series. I suppose. You can mark it right here. If the Mariners go into game four up to one, Castillo's starting that game. Or at least he's pitching in it. I I don't know about any of this one. I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I I guess don't know if how they're, they're gonna... up to one, maybe you save him and then start him game five. That's probably what they do. Again, I'm not sure he'd even start game five. He would he probably definitely would. start game. You don't have Luis, Luis Castillo to not start him two times in a playoff series. If people aren't... Since the Mariners haven't been in the playoffs for 21 years, you maybe don't remember that teams don't handle pitchers the same way in the Euro of our Lord 2022 that they did in 1995. They'll start, they'll start pitchers on much shorter rests nowadays. Will they? Yes. Because we're not so tied into this idea that pitchers need to pitch seven innings or whatever. I mean, I suppose. I don't, I don't no, know about if, that one. if they went into Sunday up two one though, they would save Castillo. They would they would save Castillo for a possible game five. This is a lot of focus on a very unlikely scenario. Whoa, 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 whoa! We've got Castillo starting game. That's the that's the only thing. It's not like that- Castillo guarantees the Mariners are going to beat the Astros. He gives us a that that's what was so frustrating about it though. Right, the loss in game one because you're looking at it and you're like, okay, game one, W, incredible, love it. I'm nervous, but you've got Castillo going game two in Houston. You're like, okay, that that feels like we should have the advantage pitching wise. And then you're like, all right, just come back to Seattle, win one or two at home, and we're on. Right, that that really was. You can't tell me that didn't cross your mind. I don't know if I even got that far ahead. I was already in the World Series, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Houston is still comfortably favored in game two. They're minus 160 in this one. So I don't I don't know that I buy I, this argument that Castillo guarantees the Mariners a win. Uh, game three, Saturday, uh, we'll have George Kirby versus Lance McCullers in that one. Uh, and then game four, TBD. Ray would obviously be a possibility with that one, or you could then come back with uh, Logan Gilbert on normal rest after he pitched pretty well in game one. And actually, I would say my greater criticism, I thought they pulled Logan Gilbert a little too early there. He gave up like a bouncing ball off the plate for a single. I think you could have gotten Logan Gilbert through six and had more of your bullpen to save for the last three innings in that one was my take I, I understand it because of the fact that there was a day off in between these two games and then a day off between two and three so you can be pretty aggressive working your bullpen and Robbie Ray 
but I would I I would have liked to see Gilbert stay in there. Uh, so let's talk about Ray. The Mariners have not won a Robbie Ray start since September 3rd in Cleveland. And both the process and the luck have been worse since then. It's a combination of both. So the luck part of it, his batting average on balls in play through September 3rd was 275. Through the remainder of the regular season, it was 329. So we talked about how the Mariners in general during that losing streak they had late in the regular season had a batty average on balls in play was a big factor in it. And it's a combination of luck and the fact that the defense probably wasn't as good with the injuries that they suffered at that point. Ray saw the effect of that pretty dramatically. But he also, in terms of fielding fielding independent metrics, was not as strong. Uh, through September 3rd, he had been striking out Play batters on 28% of their plate appearances. That's dropped to that dropped to 24% the rest of the regular season and a really big de- decrease in ground ball rate. So he went f- from four percent less than four percent of plate appearances uh resulting in home runs to in the final month of the season 6.5%, including 23% of all fly balls up from 14% beforehand. So there is definitely some process standpoint that Ray has not been as effective, but then he's also probably been the victim of some bad luck as well. But you look at FIP season-wise, when you look at the four starters, not Marco Gonzalez, although I'm curious actually where he ranks FIP vis-a-vis Marco Gonzalez, Robbie Ray's in the fours, right? That is not that good of an FIP. That's a number four starter, right? Kirby, it, it goes Castillo, Kirby, Gilbert, Ray, in that order. I mean, I told you straight up, I thought that George Kirby should be pitching more that George Kirby should have been starting one of those games. Uh, And Robbie Ray just doesn't, his stuff has not been that great all season. A lot of strikeouts, but in this crucial moment, he's not somebody that you can trust. He's not somebody who you can have come in and try to get out Jordan Alvarez or start in a game in the, in the playoffs against the Astros. Like, We'll see if the Mariners were to advance. He probably would end up starting a game in the ALCS, but he's done as far as a starter in the ALDS. I mean, I think the the, the biggest criticism bringing him in in that spot is he's the most home run. He's the worst at preventing home runs basically on the entire staff. Him and Marco Gonzalez. Festa is also is a little higher. Marco Gonzalez wasn't even there, though. He wasn't even dressed. Like, if we're comparing him to sure, people who are on the taxi squad... Yeah, uh, all of the other, besides for Seawald, who was decently prone to homers during the regular season, all of the other primary, you know, the quality relievers are under one home run per nine innings. Robbie Ray was at one and a half during the regular season. So that that specific element of it going up against Jordan Alvarez in a situation where a home run was so important, I think that's probably the fairest criticism of the decision. Oh, it was a bad decision. I don't think it was a bad decision, but I don't think it was the best decision in that situation. Okay. Anything else on the Mariners? Besides that you're sad? Uh, you know, I, I'm still, I, I think people are, too likely, uh, I think people are viewing the series like it's over and I think we should still have confidence going to these games. 
I do not think that we should have confidence, but I don't think the series is over. And I think part of it is people overreact to the emotional element of it. And yes, there are situations where, you know, teams suffer a devastating loss and just can't recover it from it. But then you forget all the situations where that happens. What did Jared and then Kelnick they just say we're do chilling? recover? <laughs> I didn't see that quote. I this is what baseball is. Like, I don't expect this isn't they're not fucking Ben Simmons, right? Like the Mariners are going to show up and play baseball. Castillo's going to be out there dealing, and everybody's going to feel fine. Like, I, it's not like every at-bat people are going to be like, the Mariners players are going to be like, but that home run that Jordan hit, it's over. It's done. The it other happened. thing that, that got overshadowed, Julio, such an awesome game. Ugh. Julio's ready for playoff baseball. Clearly. Everybody had an awesome game. That's it was frustrating because I don't know if everybody had an awesome many game. Many hitters had an awesome game. Fucking JP Crawford homered off of Justin Verlander in the playoffs. It was a great moment. You couldn't tell from like the distance from the screen. Was that gonna be fair or foul? And then to see everyone celebrating was outstanding. That was awesome. Are you Henios on fire right now? Like Ty France. It is Jared Kellenick coming up with a base knock off Verlander. Like the tweet, whereas uh, Jared Kellenick has more postseason hits than Mike Trout is really good stuff. Oh no, that is, well, certainly more than Kyle Seeger as well. All right, well, let's talk about the roundup here, starting with the Kraken who lost their season opener 5-4 in overtime at Anaheim on Wednesday night, getting an OT point in the process. They led 4-2 during the third period before giving up two goals to force OT. On the plus side, their offensive additions paid off. Three of the four cracking goals came from players who weren't on the roster most of last season, with newcomers Andre Burakovsky and Oliver Bjorkstrand both lighting the lamp in their Kraken debuts, and Matty Beneers getting a goal to begin his first NHL's full NHL season. Uh, rookie Shane Wright also made the team's opening day roster. He made his NHL debut on Wednesday, cracking out a massive 48-27 advantage in shots, including a franchise record 22 in the first period. Uh, they'll play Thursday in Los Angeles before opening a three-game homestand that kicks off Saturday against the Vegas Golden Knights, part of the big day in Seattle sports. Big weekend in Seattle sports, for that matter. Not part of that big weekend in Seattle sports. The Seattle Sounders, whose season mercifully came to an end with a 2-2 draw Sunday against San Jose, as they twice lost leads given to them by Nico Ladero goals in the meaningless final match, and the upsettling for just their fifth draw of the year. Uh, Sounders GM Garth Lagerway said the team would take, quote, a clear-eyed assessment of the roster after this disappointing MLS regular season noted success forces the team into, quote, a conservative posture in terms of evolving. Uh, now, the interesting thing about making changes is a lot of key players are under contract. Per Sounder at heart, only Jimmy Madronda is out of contract. 11 players have club options. Uh, Jordan Morris, the only regular starter among that group. Also, Will Bruin and Freddie Montero. The Sounders' average age of 28.4 this season was sixth oldest in MLS, so it would not be surprising to see some more youth worked into the mix. Loggerway was really associated at Real Salt Lake with the development of their you know, pipeline development pipeline and the young players that brought in. And, you know, we've seen some dividends with that from the Sounders, but certainly not on a consistent basis the way you would like. 
The other upside of this is you get the longest Sounders offseason in a while, although some players will obviously be busy with the 2002 People World Cup in Qatar this winter. Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan are candidates for the USMNT's roster, while Javier Arriaga with Ecuador and Nuhu with Cameroon are the Sounders almost certain to feature in the World Cup. Nice. Uh, Which, of course, what you think of when you think of the World Cup, you think November and December. Uh, yeah, Chris asked me if he wanted his Sounders tickets for Sunday, and I was like, no. No, I don't. Thanks. <laughs> that must have been some sparse attendance in that one, I feel like. I don't know about at that. At least one, it was yeah. nice outside. It wasn't pouring rain. I got to say, if you look at weather-wise, this had to be the best Sounders season of all time. It seems so, yeah. Considering, I mean, like, with the weather we've had in September and October and then not playing beyond that, it was just like, the, there were so many Sounders games that I remember where it's just, like, dumping rain, right? Like, Oh, yeah. That was, we kept getting tickets because my buddy was working for the Sounders on the way to the first, the second MLS Cup or the first MLS Cup. I forget which one, but the weather for those ones was often quite miserable. <laughs> uh, OL Rain. Will be playing into late October, uh, as of course they've gotten a bye to the NWSL semifinals coming off last weekend's international break. They'll face the winner of Sunday's matchup between the Houston Dash and the visiting Kansas City Current. Both those teams finished with an identical 36 points, but the Dash earned home field in that matchup via their superior plus eight goal differential. Current were even in that regard. The bye gives the rain time to reincorporate players who were on international duty last weekend, including the four players from the USWNT squad that lost twice in their European tour last week. All right, quick UW men's basketball update. We haven't had them in the round in a while. It's, it's really coming, though. Ba- basketball it, is coming. It is. Uh, when, what Whether, date is the NBA season we start? Not, uh, we are, as we record this, six days away from the NBA season beginning. So October next 18th. week we're doing the ten players to watch. For oh, the, you better believe it. How many nuggets do you have on there? <laughs> I got a. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely have at least one. Is Benedict Mathurin good? Oh yeah, you really he might be that. too good for the players to watch. No, 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 maybe not for that, but just in general. I saw, I saw somebody post about his game tonight. Well, he had a big dunk, right? I, he had like did he, did he also play points. Well? I think he had a pretty monster uh, day. Number six pick. I mean, you know, my projections liked him for sure. Didn't love him, but definitely liked him. Who so far is, has been of the like rookies, players who wouldn't be in the players to watch? Who's been the, the clear best player? Oh, Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray's hooping. Oh, yeah. As always. On he never, the Kings? He's never not hooping. Yeah. You're really excited about Keegan Murray. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. This is my dad. Keegan Murray is your, it, it, I can't imagine a Kings player being your dude. You can't because two years ago it was Tyrese Halliburton. I guess that's true. Yeah, Anytime the Kings draft a player who played college in the state of our yeah, in the state of Iowa, that's my guy. So, anyways, you'd have men's basketball. Four-star recruit Wesley Yates, the third, ranked number 37 in the Hello. ESPN 100, announced his commitment to UW last week. This makes more sense when you understand that well, the six-four guard is from Texas and not upstate New York. He's cousins with UW assistant coach Quincy Pondexter, <laughs> and his dad is from Seattle, allowing UW to get its highest ranked recruit since Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels in the 2019 class. Hey, we'll take it. However it happens. I'm not sure if he's a good shooter. That, that, that was <laughs> my question. If he's given it to UW, he's probably not. I don't know anything about that aspect of his skill set. It was like yeah. under Loro, everybody became a good shooter. 
I don't know about everybody, but yes, many people did. A lot of players, right? Like Justin Denman couldn't shoot for years. And then his senior year, all of a sudden, Justin Denman could just shoot. Yeah, something like that. For low row, players just became good shooters. And under Mike Hopkins, not. Not so much thus far. All right, well, let's talk about UW football, which for a second consecutive week struggled defensively in a road loss, this time Saturday at Arizona State. Uh, a team that does not look as strong as UCLA, which could be in the mix definitely to win the Pac-12 uh, with their undefeated start continuing. Uh, the Huskies lost, dropping them out of the rankings in both polls. No votes whatsoever in the AP poll, down to number 39 in the also receiving votes category for the coaches now at 4-2. and two. And another reality check for UW and the UW defense in particular. Oh, God. Let's just go back to talking about the Mariners. But wait, no. What happened to them? Oh, Let's go back to talking about the Mariners and their wild card round championship. Let's go back to talking about the Huskies when they were 4-0. Uh, Kaelin DeBoer was the best coach in, franchise, in school history. When you talked about when do they next play in the desert? I, You know what's funny? They'll probably be in the fucking Big Ten. They'll probably never win at Arizona State. Well, Arizona State might be in the Big 12. So, yes, there's lots of outs for the Huskies to not have to play a 1 p.m. start is there, in Tempe anytime When soon. would be the next time they would play at Arizona State, though? Is that uh, is it on I a consistent schedule? It is. I'd have to look it up, though. Is it every four years, then? No, it's not quite that, because there are years where you play both Arizona and Arizona State, as they do this year. It's not USC and UCLA are not a consistent. They only play each other, you know, every uh, every other year. Basically, it's two years on, two years off. Is how that works. There is a chance that UW never plays at Arizona State again, though. It's not in. I mean, also they could just play a non-conference game there, hypothetically. But yes, it is not inconceivable. They they are scheduled to play there in 2024. Is the current. Pac-12 schedule looks obviously that would very much TBD. Because also, if we go down, to, yeah, at yes. Arizona State, twenty twenty. All right, that'll yeah. probably happen. Yeah, but but also you might be more likely to play more games uh, if you're only at a Pac-10 at some point. So we'll see. Is twenty twenty four is the year that USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten? Correct. I'm I'm no. not going to say it's for sure. <laughs> oh, it's definitely not for sure. <laughs> it's so weird to to have it be like. You know, like the NFL, you could project out years, the schedule or whatever. It's just like, who knows? It literally anything could happen. That's that's definitely true in college sports. Uh, uh, so the good well, news from this, I would be very out of this happy. Game. Let's just say I would be very happy if UW never played at Arizona State again. Cosine. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. Kevin DeBoer said he is, quote, all good after leaving Saturday's game for one play following a big hit. And our guy Dylan Morris came in. And had a completion. Big moment for Dylan Morris. Dylan Morris Morris did nothing wrong. (laughs) This season, Dylan Morris did nothing wrong. Uh, Before the the low snap cost them 30 yards and effectively ended this game on that final drive. Uh, Saturday's start will be the... It wasn't exactly a low snap. It was a snap... It was a high snap? To the running back. (laughs) It was a sideways Uh, snap. Career high seventh of the season start of the season for Michael Penix Jr. coming up on Saturday, having dealt wow. with season injury, ending injuries every year at Indiana. So you're certainly worried when that hit happened on Saturday. Like, yeah. Oh no, is this happening again? You saw that, like, 
I mean, I, I couldn't tell what I thought it was a bad concussion at first. And then he was kind of holding his neck and looking like he had, was having breathing problems. And I was like, okay, it's probably not actually anything that serious. And then to be in after one play, but you sort of had the thought of just like Michael Penix is cursed, you know? For sure, yeah. Uh, Dylan Morris, though. I, I mean, that's a tough spot. I, I have, if I'm going to knock on wood, big knock on wood. If Michael Penix were to miss a start, I think Dylan Morris would not be that big of a drop-off. I think the Huskies could still be very, very good offensive. We have not seen... The last time we saw Dylan Morris was in a pretty objectively awful scheme. Yes. And talent matters, but scheme matters a lot in college football. Elsewhere on the injury front for the Huskies, running back Richard Newton, wide receiver Giles Jackson, day-to-day. Running back Wayne Talapapa was able to practice over the weekend after an ankle injury limited him to one carry in the second half when Cameron Davis carried the load for the Huskies. But in less fortunate news, cornerback Mishael Powell will remain out this week. Oh, God. Just trouble because this UW secondary, tough. Very tough, especially after losing Asa Turner to a targeting penalty in the first half of this one. Oh yeah, Huskies. so Ace is not going to play the first half against Arizona. No, because he was the targeting penalty happened in the first half. He's okay for the full okay, game on Saturday. Good. So Husky's still sitting number thirty-one in FPI, where Arizona is eighty-three at three and three, which a definite upgrade over Jed Fish, Jed Fish's first season as head coach when they went one and eleven. They've alternated wins and losses thus far, winning at San Diego State in their opener, narrowly beating North Dakota State at home in Week 3 and blowing out lowly Colorado. Their losses came home versus Mississippi State at Cal and home versus Oregon last Saturday. Those losses have come by an average of 22.3 points per game, which is how you get down to 83rd in FPI. They've been pretty good offensively. They're number 33 there in offensive FPI efficiency, but rank number 118 in defense, the worst defensive rating among all Power 5 schools, Wow! and number 86 in special teams. As bad as the Huskies look, they're only 79th on defense. I don't get how that's the case. <laughs> I mean, they're playing more credible opponents, I suppose. Like, it really is kind of, who knows, maybe it's a huge difference between home and away, but it's kind of hilarious how bad Michigan State was and how easily Arizona State and UCLA scored on UW. I mean, part of it, I think, is teams have gotten the memo at this point to start attacking the UW secondary. And then as we discussed, like the pass rush was able to cover up those weaknesses against Stanford. Yeah, He was not able to cover up those weaknesses the last two weeks. Not at all. So Arizona has at the... At the Helm Wazoo transfer, Jaden Delora, who ranks sixth in Pac-12 QBR, just behind Penix, uh, up a little bit from eighth last season, his sophomore year, second-year freshman technically at Wazoo. Tenth in completion percentage in the Pac-12 at 62%, but is averaging 12.5 yards per completion, which ranks fifth. And you can definitely see a marked difference in Delora's performance in wins and losses. He's thrown six interceptions in the three losses as compared to just one in the three wins. And he's only completing 56% of his passes in their losses. Uh, Arizona splitting carries among three running backs, despite the fact that only leading carrier, carrier Michael Wiley has been effective in terms of success rate and EPA. But it's their receiver core uh, in conjunction with Delora that really is dangerous utrep transfer jacob cowing leads the pac-12 in catches yards touchdowns and receiving epa 
so we'd expect Jordan Perryman to be matched up with Cowing, but sophomore Dorian Singer also a threat, having already exceeded his freshman totals, nearly doubling his catches and also surpassing his yards from last season. So it's not a one-man show despite Cowing's big numbers. Fairly average pass defense among Pac-12 teams, but the third worst run defense in terms of EPA per play ahead of Stanford and Colorado. You'll remember the Huskies ran for 169 yards against Stanford, easily their best performance against an FBS opponent, with Wayne Telepapa carrying 13 times for 121 yards, 120 yards in that one. They're going to score. Yes. I, I mean, obviously, this game comes down to... Can they can they get any stops against Arizona? It'll be it'll be very interesting to see what it's like home versus road. Obviously, maybe not Arizona State. It, it's tough. I mean, we didn't even mention that. In addition to Arizona State not being very good overall, you know, having recently fired their coach, also a backup quarterback most of this game, who went fifteen of twenty one, or I guess that's his season stats. So maybe that's not just the uh, almost no drop off. Right when when yeah they went to I don't I can't remember what the backup's name Trenton Borgat when they went to him I was like how oh, he might get to him and it was just like it was too easy there was the one pick but fifteen of twenty one for hundred and eighty two yards who oh, boy who oh, boy Utah's gonna score <laughs> yes that's all we know I mean every, I mean they should they know. should be able to win this one. I would really like to hope so. I think for the defense, it'll be because we didn't before the UCLA game. There were concerns about the defense, but we didn't think that they were one of the worst defenses in the country. And now they return as I i mean, how many stops did they get combined over these two games? Uh, there were a well, few more. Certainly a lot more State. against Arizona State than UCLA. Yeah, but not that many combined over both games that they that they didn't allow their opponent to score. So, yeah, uh, which I, I recommend doing. It'll, it'll be fascinating to see, again, what it looks like after, you know, returning home. And if they look good, then who knows? Maybe it was just an adjustment to playing first ever road games. Still a young defense. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go that far, even if they look good against Arizona. It's still Arizona. The important thing to remember is that year over year, obviously Penix will probably be gone next year. Year over year, offense is more consistent than defense. I think that's a lot less likely now than it was three weeks ago. Okay, he's only a junior. Well, he's got he's a fifth year, but he's anybody got... can play for as long as they want to in college. <laughs> Pretty much, if you had the COVID year, yes. Uh, okay. Year over year, <laughs> offense is more consistent than defense. Correct. And I don't know if that is true in college as it is in the NFL, but it is. I'm sure it is true. I'd I'd still rather be good at offense than defense because you could yeah. get lucky and put together a defense at some point, and all of a sudden you're a top ten team. If that's the case, yeah. Percentage chances of victory against Arizona, eighty five. I can't get there with this defense. Wow. I get, I'll put it at a 78% chance. I am curious to see what the crowd is going to be like on Saturday with this game overlapping. You might not see the me first, The first Seattle uh, home playoff game since 2001. If Castillo wins tomorrow, I'm going to give it a strong maybe about going. I'm still going. I mean, hopefully a few enough people go, then I can actually 
uh, follow Gamecast if the Mariners can. Yeah. Uh, As opposed to the usual terrible Wi-Fi. I don't think Katie is going not Mariners related. Uh, I have no idea on Chris. It might be you alone. We're like back to like straight up like early September territory. Or or 2021 territory. I was there in 2001. Well, maybe not the beginning. Let's wrap up by talking about the Seahawks coming off their 39-32 loss Sunday at New Orleans. It is truly shocking how similar these games the Huskies and Seahawks are playing at this point, where all of Seattle football, you, there is no stop to be found. But damn it if these quarterbacks aren't awfully good. Geno Smith might be the best quarterback in Seahawks franchise history. There's, there's my version of your Michael wow. Fenix Jr. take. Wow. Are you on board? Because uh, all of a sudden, I was so ready to start yelling at you on this podcast. About not believing in the Seahawks? Just on board with the team this year. As I told you, I I jumped on when Tyler Lockett scored that touchdown at the end of the first half. I couldn't believe it happened. And then immediately they subsequently lost the game and Rashad Penny got knocked out for the season. So that wasn't a great start to my Seahawks fandom this year. Can I still make the point that I was going to make to you? <laughs> sure. <laughs> make it to some uh, imaginary person. Even if we can't fight about this. What was the reason we were upset about the Russell Wilson trade happening this year? That it took away their ability to take advantage of a week schedule this season. That was the biggest and part. Also just, and also just wanting Russell Wilson to finish his career in Seattle. Sure. I, mean, I, I think that is an element. Given that being the case, we, we felt like generally you just play run it back for one more year, similar roster, right? We knew that Bobby was gone. Bobby was gone irrelevant of Russell Wilson. That was not a question. It was it was Bobby was a cap casualty that was going to happen no matter what. And we were just like, look, trade Russell Wilson. Do it next year, though. That's all that's all that we asked for. Do it next Correct. year. Correct. Start the rebuild then. Flash forward six months or whatever. The Seahawks have better quarterback play than they had, than they would have had at least with Russell Wilson in Denver, than they had at I this mean, point of the season last year. I mean, basically, they can't have better quarterback play than they're having right now. I mean, they're number one in offensive DUA. It's a relatively low for a number one. But that's team. not that's Aaron not Chuck the issue. The but they're yes. number fucking one. I don't give a fuck if it's a low. No, number I saw, one. but I'm saying yes. The there's like the point is you can't be better than number one in offensive DVOA, even if hypothetically there is a scenario where if Russ were cooking, where they could be slightly better in terms of the actual DVOA. And the reality Obviously, that's is, an extremely if, unlikely if, scenario. If you're making an argument, which you're not, and I'm so mad that you're not because I want to fight <laughs> with you. But if you're making an argument I mean, that Geno like, Smith isn't the quarterback of the future or whatever, we're not building toward anything. Know, Russell Wilson only, isn't the quarterback of the future. Agreed. The only take to have here is that Geno Smith deserves to get traded to a team with a good enough defense to support his ability. It's only fair to Geno Smith. I, I really think, again, maybe this is too rosy of a view. I've made this argument. Oh, this you. is I, definitely too rosy. Whatever this is, it's too rosy of a view. I, I'll make two, I already know. I'll make two points here if you want, and you can tell me <laughs> that they're both too rosy. Number one, if Geno plays out the year and he continues, maybe he's not the best quarterback in the NFL. But if Gino is a top five, top eight quarterback or something throughout the season, am I going to say that that's impossible? Absolutely not. There's been a nope. lot of bad quarterback play throughout the NFL. There are players like Matthew Stafford who still have starting jobs somehow. 
right? I mean, you took the wrong map, but sure. I, I've been saying that he's a backup for a long time, and people are finally starting to notice. Finally. But if Geno Smith plays at— I mean, I mean, even Jared Goff played poorly last week. I don't even know what I'm seeing. It, if Geno continues as a top-eight quarterback in the NFL— which I don't think is impossible. Maybe it's unlikely. But if he continues from this point forward, the Seahawks definitely should try to re-sign Geno. And they have four draft picks in the first two rounds next year, which will be, they will be able to rebuild the defense. I said this to you on Sunday. They will be able to rebuild the defense with those draft picks. And they'll have tons of money to do it. Like this is, the Seahawks are in kind of, kind of the perfect position. Gino is not a quarterback on a rookie deal. But when I when we were talking preseason about which quarterback situations I would prefer over the Seahawks, all of a sudden that list is getting a lot larger, right? Do you know that the Carolina Panthers exist? Like, there's so many I mean, teams. We, we brought them up in the first place. The <laughs> Arizona Cardinals are trying to win right now. The LA Rams are trying to win right now. Would I rather have the Seahawks quarterback situation or the Rams quarterback situation? Taking all of my Rams hate aside, literally, which one do you think is better in this in this moment? I mean, given the size of their respective contracts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that should be a thing you're factoring in, yes. Yes, I think the Seahawks quarterback situation in this moment is better than the Rams. The Seahawks are maybe in the best quarterback situation in the NFC West. <laughs> There's an argument yes. to be made. I mean, yes, Kyler Murray Kyler Murray is an extraordinarily expensive quarterback who clearly is not that great i now maybe maybe we need to see him in a different system the 49ers have i i think that they were very lucky this season wise for the trey lance injury to be honest but they still don't really know what they have in trey lance i was listening to this fucking dude who works for the nfl network Talking about the 49ers on a podcast, being like, the Niners never make bad decisions. They don't go all in on players. They build from within. And I'm just like, do we just forget how many draft picks they traded for Trey Lance? Like, process-wise, the Trey Lance trade was one of the worst trades. We're talking Russell Wilson trade bad. That they went out... Jamal Adams trade bad? It is in the mix. It has not hurt them as much because they had a better roster to begin with. The Niners have drafted better than the Seahawks drafted. So they started with more talent, but like they made a quarterback controversy for themselves. And then they had to get themselves out of that quarterback controversy. And they ended up with the better quarterback in the end. And the, the Rams, I don't know exactly what Matt Stafford's deal is. Look, they got this fucking, I, I don't, it's not a crooked championship that they won, but like, I feel like the term asterisk has to be thrown around. A year later, we're talking about two of the worst offenses in the NFL between the Bengals and the Rams. And there's not, like, room for them to get better. Cooper Cup isn't coming back. I think there is room for them to get better. I guess there's, yes. there's, there's no specific reason that you should expect them to get better. There, there is a reason you should expect them to get better. It's called regression to the main. They weren't good last year. The Rams were just one Andrew Whitworth, and that's it. That is it. There's no Sean McVay system. There's Andrew Whitworth, and there's nothing else. So, look, we've seen their their offense with Whitworth on and off the field. You remember two years ago when he came back against the Seahawks, and all of a sudden they crushed us? That team was bad without him. So, if your offense is completely dependent on having one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time, then sure, you're a fucking genius, dude. But, like, 
if that's not the case, then maybe it's not that good of a scheme. And the person who does have a good scheme is our boy, Shane Waldron, who has <laughs> turned Geno Smith into a MVP caliber quarterback instantly. Instantly. I mean, here's the actual question we should probably be thinking about. How hot of a head coaching candidate is Shane Waldron going to be if the Seahawks continue playing, not even this well offensively, but to your Geno point, just if they're a top 10 offense with Geno Smith as their quarterback? It's, again, these I'm, I'm willing to accept these are big ifs because there was a time that Brian Schottenheimer was a head coaching candidate through four weeks. There sure was. So through five weeks or whatever, but like the offense is looking good right now. So anyway... My point is, if you're not on board with the Seahawks team right now, I don't know what your expectations would be. You're kind of trying not to. The other argument, so that was argument well, number one, was look, that they'll again, rebuild the defense I, through the draft. I still think there are questions about the extent to which their success reinforces their, like, prevents them from making the dramatic changes that may be needed at the defensive side of the ball. And but there's yes, still you can say two it's a lack of talent. The worst defense in the league. Like I don't think that Pete Carroll thinks the defense is good. The problem isn't whether Pete Carroll thinks the defense is good. I don't think John Schneider thinks the defense is good. I don't think anybody thinks the defense is good. It would be an issue if they were winning games 47-45 if every game was the Lions game. That would be an issue, I suppose, if they weren't fixing it. But, like, they're, everybody within the organization knows what the defense is. You are much more optimistic. I, I think that they know that there is things wrong with the defense. You're much optimi more optimistic than I am about their, their ability to understand, from a process standpoint, what's wrong with the defense and where they need to invest to fix that. Because I think their focus will remain on stopping the run overstopping the pass. I don't know if that's true. I think they are pretty aware of what they have in the secondary. And like, if there's, if they have a pick in the top 10 and there's a top, but they, if there's they a weren't aware of what they had in the secondary coming into the season. And yeah, I mean, maybe they were, you know, this actually rebuilding the whole time and they were just surprised by what Geno Smith, but defensively the evidence indicates they thought that they were competing. I don't think that they thought that, rookies Mike Jackson and Tariq Woolen were going to be the best corner. Like we're going to, be but they might've college. thought that Sidney Jones and Artie Burns were going to be it. Artie Burns has been hurt. Maybe Artie well, Burns is. Well, Sidney Jones hasn't been hurt. I mean, he's just inactive. He was hurt last week. He was not inactive. Was he? Yeah. He was not healthy. He was, it was an injured scratch, but okay. also they lost Jamal Adams in week one. Like they lost their best defensive player. Hypothetically in the I first game, someone saying that that was a uh, great news for the Seahawks defense. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> Something along those lines. No, I didn't. That wasn't me. <laughs> it did. Like, they just, are they're very so many, capable. There's... Who has been good on the Seahawks defense? Uchenna Nwosu. And? Al Woods. Big Al Woods. And one more player. Are you counting Tariq Woolen? Tariq Woolen. Who has gotten you're, you're that far players? in? You were like... Not buying into Tariq Woolen a week ago, and now you're all the way I was in? not buying into Tariq Woolen when he, before I saw it, and now we've seen it. Teams are not throwing to that side of the field. There's, they've got a Jordan Brooks size issue. They have a Cody Barton size issue. They have a pass rush size issue, and they have a safety size issue. They do not have a Tariq Woolen issue, and they might I have. I agree. Like, even the completions that are happening are not necessarily on Mike Jackson. 
these issues are more linebacker and safety issues than they are cornerback issues, ultimately. And it's probably the case. But I, again, I remember I I remember listening to a podcast before this season where someone scoffed at the very idea that any position group besides quarterback might be the biggest issue for the Seahawks defense when some forward-thinking analyst presented that idea. Why are you upset for me seeing what happened and changing my perspectives? You should be complimenting right now, me right now. You should be saying, wow, it's great that you changed your perspective based upon all available evidence. Would you rather you that I dug in prior. on a point because I made it a month ago? No, but I would like you to acknowledge what I was right about it. Great. You've been right about one thing ever. <laughs> You're going to fucking take a victory lap on, I, don't, I can't even think of a oh. player who is on your list that nobody, and that ended up being not good. <laughs> uh, can, I, I'm not going to take a victory lap, but before we, just, just jump you ahead a little bit, because we still want to talk about the Seahawks before we get there, but I was checking out the over-unders on the Arizona Cardinals for the preseason. Was I over on them? Oh, yes, you were. They might still get and there. I made the under a lock, and I'm feeling pretty good about that, even though they have the two The one that I'm most concerned with is the Raiders. And I'm like, the Raiders keep playing well. They keep playing well and losing games. It's kind of wild. Well, if only analytics hadn't told them to go for it. But <laughs> is that I'm even just... the analytics that people were upset about? No. I didn't even, couldn't even really grasp yes. what people were mad about. I, I yes, people literally think watched. Anytime you this make was an aggressive not decision, even analytics. Because of analytics. I watched that game and saw Josh Jacobs run for 10 yards every single time he touched the ball. Like, if you, if you would have asked me, can Josh Jacobs get this two-point conversion? I would be like, literally, I think he will score untouched. It was a very contentious... The, the decision to run the ball in particular was contentious among my group. He was not touched at any point. Josh Jake, I don't know what his yards per carry was at the end of the game, but I think it was 12. Like I, It was certainly great for my fantasy team. I also was... Which had I came both Josh Jake's so far Kelsey. back. Devontae Adams and... We'll see if he plays this week. No, I don't know. I don't know if that's actually an issue. Travis Kelsey. <laughs> well, they have a bye, so Devontae Adams will certainly not oh, be God. playing this week. Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey in fantasy... And and then Darren Waller also in a different league, but that, I think that was the league where T Higgins didn't play. And I'm like, I was ended up six points down. And I was just like, for real, T Higgins is is playing, and then he's just gone from the face of the earth. Anyway, they really fought. Travis Kelsey really fought for me. I was impressed by that. Devontae Adams, in his case, fought literally. Uh, the Seahawks did make a move to address wait, their wait. personnel on defense. Hold on, what? Who has been praised? I asked you a question like five minutes ago. Who has been praised this year? Has it been players who haven't played well? Have you heard Jordan Brooks's name? I I think there was a positive quote about Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton from Clint Hurt just today that I read. He's just, I, I did, not see that. did not see that. Has any outside person, Pete Carroll, maybe <laughs> talked about those players? I really feel like they kind of fucked up on the Clint Hurt hire too. But uh, it just doesn't matter. I agree like, that it doesn't matter. They, they don't have good players. Defense, I really believe, is less about scheme than offense is. I think but they offense also is more about fundamentally scheme than don't know what matters defensively. That is not true. They don't have good players, but they're not investing in the positions you need to invest in. I guess they again they started this year in this one draft, and maybe they they got religion in this offseason, but I'm going to need to see it more than one one time to actually believe it. Is finding religion good? <laughs> <laughs> in that, in that what world is that analogy? <laughs> that I ever said somebody's doing something right now. They found religion. 
in that particular <laughs> MIA found religion and all of a sudden her tweets are totally normal now. <laughs> oh, you might have seen that one earlier. I did not. She's a born again Christian now, I've heard, and uh, <clears throat> had some perspectives. Let's just no. not say the finding religion, I, unless it's a. Uh, uh, <laughs> the religion they found is a pagan ritual, but like the. The players who are playing well are being praised. That's it. They understand who's playing well on this team. And it's not even necessarily, if you don't understand how to allocate resources, that's fine. At some point, you just get enough players in the building. Like, if you're going to draft an off-ball linebacker in the first round, at least have him be good. And he's not. So, I, I just, I don't believe necessarily that there is talent at drafting. And the reality is, in these four first and second round draft picks that the Seahawks have, they're going to end up with some good players. Yes. But. Inevitably they will. But. This year, there is a solution. Well, the solution that they found was signing Bruce Irvin, who signed to the practice squad and could play as soon as this week, this Sunday, according to Pete Carroll, though, that you said the preference is to give him another week to acclimate returning back to the system. Hello. Irvin adds depth that outside linebacker after the Seahawks placed to Daryl Johnson on IR. Let's go uh, deeper. Nuosu played 84% of the snaps at outside linebacker on Sunday. Uh, Irvin played just six games last season in Chicago after an ACL tear during his second game back with the Seahawks in 2020. At 35 in November, thanks to the famous cousin Katie's husband, Ben, for pointing this out, he'll be one of the NFL's oldest defensive players. Pro Football Reference has five defensive players who have seen action this season listed as age 35 or older, including Al Woods. Notably. <laughs> Big Al Woods is awesome. <laughs> yes. Ageless Big Al Woods. So, but that's the former linebacker the Seahawks brought back. KJ Wright is out there. I swear to God, if they make the call, I feel like they're not making the call because Pete listened to the podcast. He knows what KJ has been saying about him. <laughs> I really feel like Bruce Irvin was tied, right? His lips were sealed. That's why he has a contract. Pete, put it behind you. Put it behind you. Whatever KJ said, if you bring back KJ with Bruce Irvin, there's other players. Maybe Earl Thomas is a little bit too far gone, but like I, I, I think Earl Thomas is too far gone. There are other players who are out there who could get this team to the playoffs. We don't need to worry about next year or whatever. We don't need to worry about Josh Jones is not a first round pick that we're developing. Cody Barton is not a first round pick that we're developing. Jordan Brooks, I've seen him play, could not have been a first round pick. Just could not have been. I think you're a little too far down. I thought I was down on Jordan Brooks. You're a little too far down on Jordan I Brooks. I just would have liked Jordan Brooks to make a good play ever in his entire career, and then I'll be up on him. Can you think of one? I'm sure there have been some good plays. But can you think of one? Off the top of my head? I don't know that I can think of that many good KJ Wright plays off the top of my head. Oh, do you not remember that play against the Vikings? The pick with one hand? Are you kidding me? was monster. It all starts to run together. In the COVID season, that was like one of the best plays ever. Oh my God. KJ made plays. I agree that KJ Wright made plays. I'm just saying. The, I don't know that I Jordan Brooks and like, KJ Wright. They are not. I'm not comparable. comparing them. Uh, I, Jordan I Brooks that... gives up a completion and then tackles the person after they get the completion sometimes. And it goes to the stat book and Wright. people think he's good. He's on the cover of the fucking Seattle Times. Next generation. I'm just like, dog, of what? 
I agree that KJ Wright would be a massive upgrade. I think you're a little too far down on Jordan Poole. He'll be a Jaguar next year. All right, should we talk about the Cardinals? Who dropped to two and three. I'm so mad that they... you weren't willing to fight about this, that you just agreed with me. <laughs> with a 20-17 to 17 home loss Sunday versus the undefeated Eagles, when Kicker Matt Amendola missed a kick that could have tied the game. Cardinals now 0-3 at home. Their other losses coming to the Chiefs and Rams, but 2-0 on the road with wins over the Raiders and Panthers. They are number 26 in both DVOA and Dave, the prior informed version number of football. Number 26? Metrics. Yeah. That team is trying. They are trying to win. Yeah. They are in and win-now mode. They just paid Kyler Murray this offseason. And Cliff Kingsbury. And their GM, <laughs> Steve Kime. They extended all of them this offseason. Cliff Kingsbury? They did. <laughs> they sure did. Uh, they are close to that in all three phases. They're 23rd in offense, 26th in defense, and 25th in special teams. They're literally just bad. Their offense has dropped off after ranking 15th last year, but the real strength of their 2021 playoff team was their sixth-ranked defense under defensive coordinator Vance Joseph. 26 would be Arizona's worst defensive ranking since I looked at the football outsiders page, and I kept scrolling, I kept scrolling, I had to keep going down. 2003 wow. was the last time they were as bad on defense as they have been thus far this the team, season. They've always kind of had a pretty solid defense. Yeah. And like always very similar, like blitz heavy schemes for a long period of time. Uh, they're missing the pressure provided by Chandler Jones, who had 10 and a half sacks last season. They ranked 27th in pass defense DVOA down from fifth. And they are last in the NFL with six sacks, two and a half of those coming from JJ Watt. The underlying stats are a bit better. They're 13th in ESPN's pass block win or pass rush win rate, I should say, and 16th in pressure rate, but just not converting any of those into sacks right now. I, I do think I it previously would have thought that that was not a stat, but after we saw Genevieve Clowney, I am convinced that there is a difference between actually completing sacks and pressuring the quarterback. Pressures are Clowney important. Maybe, Clowney may be one of one in that category, but all of this looks like a very favorable matchup for Gino Cook. Wow. The other thing, by the way, we should say, <laughs> I, the one thing I want, you, you know, when we talk about Geno Smith continuing this, we have unfortunately seen a trend where Tyler Lockett, given his size, despite his propensity to avoid contact, has tended to wear down over the course of the seasons. And Tyler Lockett is playing at an extremely high level right now. He's awesome. Number one in ESPN's pass, uh, receiver metric in terms of most frequently open. I mean, some of those plays he wasn't even necessarily open that he was making on Sunday. I mean, yeah, Gino put that, t- that first touchdown in Both such a them. tight window. Both of them. Uh, Kyler Murray has attempted the most passes in the NFL this season. He's completing 66% of them, which would be his lowest mark since his rookie season. Yards per completion also way off from 11.4 to 8.8. A big part of that, the absence of DeAndre Hopkins will serve the final week of his suspension for a positive PED test this Sunday. The Cardinals added Hollywood Brown at receiver. He hasn't been quite as explosive as his early career in Baltimore. It's the highest completion percentage on targets of his career, but just 11 yards per reception. And then completions to Zach Ertz, the running backs, and particularly A.J. Green, who is averaging an incredible 2.7 <laughs> yards per target, are yielding little for the Cardinals. The scariest receiver besides Brown at this point is probably well-traveled slot Greg Dortch. But I say all this knowing that Zach Ertz is just going to carve the Seahawks up somehow, as he did last year with Colt McCoy at the helm in Seattle. 
Like the Seahawks, Cardinals also banged up at running back where James Conner left last Sunday's game with a rib injury. And backup Daryl Williams has also been ruled out this week due to has been ruled out. Connor still could play, has been ruled out this week due to a knee sprain, leaving Eno Benjamin as the team's healthiest running back. Also notable, Kyler Murray no longer the rushing threat he once was, averaging a career-low 26.6 yards per game on the ground, barely half his average wow. back in 2020. You should trade him for two firsts and two seconds. <laughs> Kyler can't run anymore. What does he do? I would say he can't run. You understand but what I'm he's saying. He's not running as much. Yeah. Oh, fair. Yes. Craig Torch, that, number 18 in the, DVOA. The problem the, is the that DOA numbers, I look at them and I'm just like, this is just a smattering of wide receivers. Like, it's just a random uh, walk of wide receivers. It kind of is, right? DR looks a lot more familiar, but just. Well, yeah, because that involves volume. Yeah, but even DK being kind of bad at both is a little shocking to me. It was interesting that yeah. we headed into the season thinking that Gino was just going to throw the ball up to DK whenever he was in trouble, because that's what we felt like we saw last year during his three starts. And it's been Tyler who's the one who's really benefited and is playing extraordinarily well with Gino so far. Yeah, I think that probably reflects, and, and I agree that I was wrong about that as well, I think that probably reflects the fact that he's actually had a real training camp to work with Tyler Lockett as opposed to, you know, he didn't have that when he came in as the starter last year, taking over for Russell Wilson. Um, it, it really, with Gino, does not feel like a fluke. Also, he's doing this... With Drew Locke continuing to push him every day in practice. <laughs> I, I, Doing really good stuff. The, the amount that I think that is bullshit has decreased <laughs> based upon... <laughs> you think Drew Locke might actually be that good? I'm just saying, like... They were right about Gino? Exactly. If Gino's the number two quarterback in the NFL by every metric... Except for the ones where he's the number one quarterback. Yeah, if Gino is maybe the best quarterback or second best quarterback in the NFL by every metric, and the coaches thought there was a quarterback battle, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I still have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. Just many, many questions. So the the Seahawks Fourth are at home. Well, you know, they're overweighting running. At home, two and a half point underdogs to Arizona in this one. I, I really you know don't think that's right. I mean, I'm going to agree with you. Wrong team favorite in this one. It's It should be the Seahawks. I really think people have not changed their perspective on the Seahawks. And obviously, if Vegas are going to be the place that's going to see this early, right? You would think. And it's a little bit too much faith in a probably bad Cardinals team. Yes. Like, I, I I really feel like for the Cardinals, I mean, that Raiders win, you know, they, they definitely snatched victory from defeat in that game. They should have lost that easily. And if I mean, playing Philly tough, even in a loss, uh, you know, was an impressive performance. I think, that's really their concerned. only good performance all year, though, right? It might be their best, yeah. Oh, well, definitely their best, but kind of their only good performance. Uh, there's a, I mean, they're 26 in DVOA. Like, this is not a good team. There's a little they have bit not of been a good team. Cardinals. What is it you would say you do here? Because I can't they, really they did figure have way out. better DVOA against Carolina. Did they? They did. And that's weeded for opponent. Not fully yet, but because the yes. Panthers are probably like it's who the Rams play the. Carolina this week? 
I haven't looked that far. Do we play Carolina? We must, right? We're playing the NFC South. Yes. Okay, so we do get to play Carolina. I was just like, I feel like other NFC West teams get to play Carolina and we just don't. But I mean, we don't get to play against Carolina with Matt Rule. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Neither do the Rams, though. A little bit of like maybe they rally around Matt Rule being fired. Fingers crossed. The Rams are bad. Uh, but PJ Walker. Long time. Former Cardinals defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes taking over. I just kind of can't figure out what the Cardinals are. And and there were a couple of years where the Cardinals, I think they were out kicking their coverage a little bit for a couple of seasons. They sort of limped into the playoffs last year. It got summarily crushed in the first game, the Monday night football playoff game, right? And it was, Kyler's never quite put it together. And I look at this team and I'm like, the defense has gotten worse. They don't really rush the passer. They haven't really developed young players. I feel like the Seahawks are a better team than they are. And I feel like I prefer the Seahawks future over the Cardinals at this point. I probably agree with both of those things. Yeah. So by the way, that's former, former Cardinals head coach, Steve Wilkes. He was, he was not the defensive coordinator. He was just the head coach there. Percentage chances of victory. 55. I'm going to go 65%. Wow. That is very confident. I, what are the they're percentage bad chances? Teams. I guess I was going to say, what are the percentage chances you're going to be at this game? It's going to be, it's a hundred unless the Mariners played a very long game four, get to game four and play a very long one. So the start would be pushed to act to two thirty in the event that there is in fact a Mariners game at noon on Sunday. It was a little bit of like two thirty. How did you settle on that time? I mean, I guess it's like it doesn't push too far into the Sunday night game. And then it's also probably a logistics issue with them getting out of town and getting back to Arizona. But it it does at least mean not overlapping, starts closely overlapping. It, it was an interesting timing choice, but I was happy that they moved it because I didn't want to have to choose between the two. I want to go to both. And right. I hope that the Mariners game happens. And I hope that the Seahawks game is at 2.30 p.m. Because uh, also that would just be a fun time to go to a football game, right? It'll be getting dark by the end of it. I mean, it's going to be an all-time sports day in Seattle if that happens with those two in next door to each other. 80 degrees in Seattle, a Mariners playoff game in mid-October. It's kind of just like, what world are we living in? Yes. Right? Uh, in a world where it, it will start getting dark. A little bit toward the end of the Seahawks game. Again, if the Mariners game happens. And it would be like, wow, relief from the sun in Seattle on this October 16th. I, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, my tickets, at least. You're in, are you also in? I'm in center field. We are both so in center field. Could be scorching out there. Oh, it's going to be hot. It's going to be a hot yeah. one. And you know who does well in a hot one. <laughs> Do I need to play the music here? Yes. At the end That's of the pod. Play by Carlos Santana. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks. <laughs>